Heavenly Father, we are grateful um, that you, you use the enjoyable things of community, the enjoyable blessings that uh, we are able to partake in as a church and, and bring some young people together in the resources that you've given us and the, uh, the labor and care of, of so many here to allow for an opportunity to teach and to proclaim and to tell uh, some young people about the good news of who you are. And I pray that uh, those, those seeds would take root over the weeks and months and years to come and that uh, this past week would be uh, just a, a, a turning point, a revolutionary or a, a, a encouraging point in the lives of so many of these young people and the uh, youth leaders and those involved and the, the adult leaders uh, this week that uh, in it you would be glorified and your name would be made to look great as we uh, think about all that uh, we proclaim about you. We pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, you grab it, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Uh, our young people are going to stay with us in the gathering this morning. Uh, so we have, every, every once in a while have family-friendly gatherings where we keep our elementary kids in here. Uh, the week after day camp is always when we want to do that. Uh, we feel like they're probably a little tired and a little more uh, reserved anyways. And so uh, use that as an opportunity. Uh, and I'm going to go a little bit shorter uh, this morning. In fact, the, the idea today is to kind of finish a sermon that we began last week and just knew that we weren't going to be able to squeeze the whole thing into one week as we talk about how we share the gospel uh, with the people in our lives and, and what that looks like and things that we want to keep in mind as we do this. In fact, we're in week three of a series that we entitled Proselytize. Uh, we kind of did that on purpose. In fact, the, the recognition in that word is that it carries in the culture we live in now a little bit of a negative connotation that uh, we said in week one that the sort of growing and prevailing feeling in the society we live in is it's okay to believe in just about anything so long as you sort of keep that belief system to yourself and don't really impress it upon others. Uh, however, that stands in a conflict with what the Christian message is and the calling of all believers, which is to go and proclaim the truth of the gospel to any and all. That the reality is that the gospel is good news for all who would receive it, and that in this we want and desire to have all hear it. And so uh, in that, we're, we're kind of using this as a period of time to just renew and refresh and desire to be a people who would proclaim the good news of Jesus, who would be interested in persuading those who we interact with about Jesus Christ. Uh, I think about the Apostle Paul, who many times throughout his life and ministry says this, but in particular, uh, if you think about this in Acts 28, uh, it's going to note that that was one of the things that he sought to do with the focus of his life. Now, Acts 28, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, and we'll look at some of it later on during the sermon, but uh, the Apostle Paul has gone from a pretty great and pretty comfortable uh, life in terms of all worldly things that we might consider he is well revered, well-respected, uh, and kind of 
riding high in society. And as we looked at in our Sunday school hour this morning, 8.30 to 9.30, if you want to be there, uh, we saw him count all those things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And he begins to embark on a lifestyle that proclaims Jesus in any and every opportunity that he has. And it really trades off a lot of the worldly comforts and joys and uh, things that he has so worked for in all of his life in exchange for the opportunity to tell people about Christ. And in this, circumstantially, he endures a great deal of pain. In fact, the whole last seven, eight chapters of the book of Acts is Paul constantly uh, under arrest, being transported and dragged before rulers and authorities and anyone who has power and ability to pronounce judgment over him. And repeatedly during this time, what you're going to see is him proclaiming the gospel message to any that would hear. And, and all of that kind of culminates, the very end of the book of Acts, him being taken to Rome with the opportunity to share the gospel with Caesar, the emperor, the supreme power of Rome. And so along the way, his journey is a uh, pretty uh, tumultuous one. He's shipwrecked. He's snake bitten. It takes a long time. And when he gets there, he's put under house arrest. And the book of Acts ends with him in Rome awaiting trial. And the Bible says this when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them, solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. And then here's, here's the word I want you to hear. And trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, both the law, from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. And so, so what he exists to do is what I think is, is the call or ought to be the heart's desire of all of us as Christians. Was his desire was to persuade those who would hear about the truth of Jesus according to the Scriptures. It was one of the things we said last week, that anytime we're going to do that, we would do it according to the Scriptures. Now, the second thing I want to, I want to mention or kind of caveat with this is we look at some things that include uh, in, in how we are a people who would proclaim the Gospel is this. Um, over the years, I've heard dozens at least, maybe hundreds of sermons that include, or teaching times that include elements of or appeals to us being evangelistic, being a people who would share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members, with our co-workers, etc. Right? Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty common application and a repeated call. Not only that, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that Americans in general, American Christians, we're not very good at it, and, and we're not very persistent, and we're not really diligent with it in terms of the things that we do in our spiritual life. Amen? And, and so, uh, in these just kind of scores of times over the years, one of the things that I think has a tendency to repeatedly be included in that, whether it's intended or not, maybe this is just the way that it's received on my end, but I, I'm guessing I'm in a pretty large majority with this, is not necessarily riling up a feeling of excitement and encouragement so much as it kind of 
brings about a level of uh, guilt and shame that comes with, and there's some elements of good conviction in there, don't get me wrong, right? But a lot of times, I think what we can leave with in this is uh, a feeling of like, man, I stink. Why am I not doing this, right? And and so uh, we have to be careful and wise to not allow conviction to lead us to a depressing level of guilt that ultimately a lot of times doesn't change behavior beyond maybe a day or two uh, and allow that instead to be a conviction that would inspire in us some opportunity to see God working in our lives. Amen? Amen. And so I'll use, I use a sports analogy for those of you who uh, don't like sports, deal with it. Uh, there's, there's like two philosophies in coaching uh, in, in like modern day, right? One is like the disciplinarian coach. I've had some of those over the years when I was growing up, right, who just, uh, just pound you over and over and over again. And some of them are really good coaches, right? Like there's, uh, you, you know a little bit about football, like Bear Bryant is like the pinnacle of coaching in college football, was a coach for Alabama for years and would just, you know, just run them, just run them, run them, run them, right? Like, and, and, and you get there and he was, he was tough and he was yelling, I mean, that's why they call him Bear, right? Like, he was just hard, and through that discipline was going to boot camp you in to being better, right? Uh, and now, and you can, you can say maybe people have gone soft or whatever it is, but now, like, you go to the, even the professional ranks, and frequently, they're kind of getting rid of that old guard of coach, and they're replacing them with what they call the player's coach, right? You, you know what a player's coach is? used to be a player. That's, that's what it is. Like a player's coach is somebody who comes alongside them and is really kind and is, uh, he's not yelling at them so much as he's yelling at like the, the organization trying to get better facilities and like let's upgrade the weight room. Maybe we put a hot tub in for these players and let's manage their, their load so that they don't have to work so hard. And he's kind of he's coming for them as a friend hoping that, here's, here's the idea behind that philosophy, that in it, when he says to a player, hey, trust me, you need to do this, that he's built up the credibility that he can inspire them to want to be better, right? I'm not saying one works or one doesn't. I feel like a good coach probably has some level of both. But here's, here's my hope out of this morning and really out of this four-week period is that uh, this kind of comes a little bit more from the perspective of like the player's coach than it does the uh, disciplinarian, you have to be better, sort of baptist guilt trip that tends to be the case anytime we talk about sharing the gospel. Amen? And, and so in this, uh, I, think, I think if we can hope for something emotionally out of what happens today and what happens over the course of this month, I would hope that this is a welling up of some inspiration, a welling up of some encouragement, and a welling up of just just some desire to go forth sharing the good news of Christ more so than it is a growing of guilt over all of the opportunities missed or all of the times that I've shied away from it or all of the times that I'm not really sure I've done the right thing in those things. Undoubtedly, we've all got those, without a doubt. However, um, 
we, we look forward and press on today in the desire that uh, we would go forth better equipped and we would go forth in the inspiration and the desire that is building up through the Holy Spirit within us to be a people who would move out proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so that's, that's my hope as we continue on from last week, just asking this question. What do we remember as, as we seek to be a people who share Christ. And I have four more things that we didn't get to from last week, and they're kind of in balance with one another. So uh, the first two go together, and the second two go together, and we'll just kind of walk through them over the course of the next few minutes, uh, and then spend the end of today in prayer. But the first one is this. I think this is really important, uh, and I think, I think by and large, those who are most vocal in their evangelistic efforts, often miss this piece. Uh, Here's here's how I would say it uh, according to the scripture that we're going to read first here. It's that we would be conducting ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Conducting ourselves with wisdoms towards outsiders. Let's read it in Colossians chapter 4. Pick up with me in verse 2. Paul is kind of giving his final instructions to this church. As he goes on, he says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Now we'll talk about that part in a second. Uh, For which... I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Now look at what he says in verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to respond to each person. I, I, I think... I think about this passage almost every time I officiate a funeral for someone uh, that I don't know, which is, which is frequent uh, in the context uh, of this area and this region. We moved out here and uh, through Erickson's and, and kind of some friendships and relationships there. Uh, frequently what happens is somebody who passes away who doesn't have some connection to a church community uh, decides they want to, want to have a funeral service, and so they call and ask if I'd like to do it. And I've always just said yes to those things. Um, but one of the things that happens with regularity is in the conversations about what that's like, it becomes evident or likely that this person probably didn't know Christ, right? Now, if we're just being honest from my conviction and what I believe to be true, uh, I would say, hey, I, I don't think that person is in heaven I think that in their rejection of the Lord, they might be in eternal damnation. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that's like the greatest way to begin a funeral service to care and minister for that family. Amen? Right? Like, or in my like typical fashion, I probably wouldn't say it even with that much grace. It would probably be more like, hey, it didn't make it. So uh, in that, like I've got a feeling that that's going to really disappoint and, and maybe some much stronger words than that, those who might be in the audience hearing such a thing. And I know that's a different context than what many of you deal with in a day-to-day basis, but here's, here's my point in it. If we're not a people who recognize that truth is seasoned with grace in the way that it is best shared, then we might find ourselves 
proclaiming truth, but doing so in a way that is not effective at all with those who might be on the hearing end of it. And so we're meant to be a people who would conduct ourselves with some wisdom in that, knowing that one of the goals of sharing the good news of the gospel has to do with those who would hear the good news of the gospel, not our own personal satisfaction and accomplishment and like checking that off of our list or saying we did that, right? Amen? You with me? And, and so we're meant to be a people who would find a way to do this with a level of wisdom and a level of understanding, knowing that we desire the Holy Spirit to guide us into those situations and to guide us so that we might do so well. Now, Here's, here's the part of this that I think the majority of us need to really hear and listen to. Because I would say that that kind of warning or caution, that you, you might be a little too frank or a little too bold or a little too, um, too graceless in your sharing of the truth with people, probably applies to like 10% of us. There's, there's probably about 10% of us who go, listen, I don't care. I'm just going to say it. And if you hear it the wrong way, that's on you. Uh, and, and that's generally our demeanor. And you need to kind of hear, hey, caution and some wisdom in the way that you conduct yourself. Season your speech with grace as with salt so that you will know how to respond to each person. That the idea is that you would be wise enough to think about the recipient of your words, seasoning it with grace so that their stumbling block for hearing the gospel isn't you, right? The thing is, for the other 90% of us, I think we have a tendency to err in the opposite way. Here's, here's where Paul mentions this, right? He says, pray that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned. Here's, here's what happens for many of us is this idea that we would be conducting ourselves with wisdom, this idea that we would be uh, kind of seasoning our speech with grace, this idea that we would know that there are some times where, where maybe our just kind of straightforward, in-your-face, like this is what is true attitude might really be problematic for somebody and just kind of push them away. And that's not actually Christ-dividing, but rather your obnoxious attitude kind of setting a stumbling block in front of somebody. For most of us, we... We would like to believe that so much that I think it prohibits us from ever walking forth with any boldness in what we might say or the way that we might approach those who are outside of the faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? You get what, you get what I'm saying here? Um, that, that most of us will use a passage like this in Colossians 4 as an excuse for our passivity, right? Or... Um, First Peter says it this way, that we would stand prepared, ready to make a defense for the hope that is in us. And we use that to kind of feel like, man, I will just live a life. This is, I think this is commonplace. Maybe you've said this in your own heart, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to prick at it and try to challenge you on this today. But I'm just going to live a life that represents Jesus and know that sometime somebody's going to ask me about it 
And then when they ask me, I can tell them about Jesus. When the person knocks on my door and goes, hey, your life is so different, would you please give a defense for the hope that is in you? I'll go, oh yeah, sure, let me tell you about Jesus, right? And that might happen twice in your life. Maybe, if you're lucky. Here's, here's the thing though. When Paul says that he desires the church to pray for God to open a door for him to share the gospel, I think we would see that phrasing far different than Paul sees and applies that phrase into his life. So here's, here's the compliment with this, that we would be a people who are conducting ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders when it comes to sharing the gospel, but also that we would be a people who have proactive boldness when it comes to sharing the gospel. Because, because we could say, I'm waiting for God to open a door, but if you're going to take and apply that passage the correct way, the way that the Apostle Paul applies it, you've got to think about the way that he goes forth sharing the gospel. All right, so let me, let me help you with this. Here's, here's what he does. Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul is already uh, zealous in his hatred for Christianity. He has imprisoned and assisted with the execution of many who are proclaiming Jesus. He's not only done so, so much in Jerusalem uh, that it started to kind of squash this and scatter out the church, but from this he decides that he needs to get letters from the governing authorities to go to Damascus to do the same thing. He gets uh, these commissioned letters heads out with a group of people and is going to find and to root out those who are of the way of Jesus to get rid of them. Now, in such zeal, the Bible tells us that Jesus appears to Paul, blinds him, knocks him to the ground, and begins to speak to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which his response is, who are you, Lord? Right? He says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. It says the whole crowd that's around him can see that this is happening. But they can't make out the words as Jesus speaking specifically to Paul. But it actually works. Paul commits his life to Christ. He's blind for three days. He gets to where he's supposed to be. God raises up a believer, Ananias, who has like some reasonable hesitation when God says, hey, you're going to go find this guy and you're going to tell him about me. He's like, this guy's like killing Christians. You want me to just go tell him like I'm one of the Christians and I'm here to help you? Like, this? you're sure you got the right guy, right? Like, can we go last names? Let's make sure that we're not crossing signals here. Uh, and yet, in it, God sends Ananias. He comes. Uh, some scales or something like scales falls off of Paul's eyes. And he then goes. The Bible says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake to bring the word of God forth. And from that point forward, Paul's life is a dramatic change in many ways. The one thing that remains consistent is his zeal to proclaim God-glorifying truth. Now, what he thought he was proclaiming was not God-glorifying truth. Now he is. He goes forth, and the rest of the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 12 on, begins to be about Paul and other believers with him journeying across all of the known world proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now, here's, here's the thing that's so interesting about this. God closes doors. It, 
the Holy Spirit, it says, forbids him at time from going certain places to tell people about Jesus. And so certainly there was a level of understanding that Paul didn't get to go to all places at all times in all situations to tell people about the good news of Jesus. He was recognizing that the Holy Spirit was going to stop some of those things. The Holy Spirit was going to direct his ways in ways that were meaningful and good for what God had ordained to happen. However, here's, here's where God... Uh, is, is kind of challenging, I think, our notion of what an open door is. Frequently, Paul is beaten, he is imprisoned, he is uh, sanctioned and hurt, whipped for the sake of the gospel, and continuously in those events, he continues to share Christ all the more. In fact, you go from Acts chapter 14, you want something to do this week, you just read from Acts chapter 14 through Acts chapter 20 and just watch, just watch what happens as Paul the Apostle begins to proclaim the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. He is thrown in prison, at one point he's beaten and left for dead by people who reject the gospel in such harsh and rude realities that they drag him out of the city, they throw stones at him until they think he's dead, and then what's so fascinating about it is he gets up you want to know where he goes back in there oh i'm going to go back to the city to encourage them before i leave he starts riots and yet in it he calms down the crowd enough to tell them more about the gospel of jesus and so proactively boldly paul's recognizing that his mission in life is to persuade regarding the good news of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we are people who would conduct ourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, but knowing that that wisdom is boldly declaring the thing that we hold and treasure and see as most dear, which is the truth that God saves through Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing. In that, the third point is, is that God desires and, and we ought to desire people to be saved. Listen to this, by the way that it's written in 1 Timothy. You got a Bible, you can turn just a couple pages over. 1 Timothy chapter 2, God says it this way. Paul writing to Timothy. Says this. This is good and acceptable. This is verse 3 of 1 Timothy 2. In the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. Here's the thing. We can talk a different day about the desires of God and what the, the nature of that is. And if God desires all men to be saved, why are not all men to be saved? And what does that word all mean? There's a whole bunch of theological uh, issues that you can kind of extrapolate out of that verse. But here's the, here's the kind of call for us, again, in the complement of this passage, is that we would be a people who go forth desiring to see people come to know Jesus. The, the greatest joys in our life ought to be when we get to see ones that we love confess Jesus Christ. When, when we watch someone place faith in Jesus, it ought to bring about and well up in us such a joy that is unmatched by almost anything else. I, 
Yeah, I, I can remember few things in my life that are as impactful and meaningful to me as, as watching people come to know Christ and, and remember them so vividly. We, uh, one of the reasons we do these, these day camps is because uh, early on in my life in ministry as a believer, uh, I got involved in doing youth ministry, and we would take kids to uh, a camp that, that the church that I worked for in Michigan, before I was even working for them, owned. Uh, and it was like, like a trash pit of a camp. It was, uh, to call it a camp was like a really generous word for it. It was just like some people had cut trees down in the woods and they put up a soccer goal and like a, you know, pavilion. And that was like it, you know. There's some sand in there and I think kind of a volleyball net. And you just bring kids, you stick them in cabins. There's bats in the cabins. It was, I, it was honestly, it was a horrifying, exhausting, terrible week. You always looked forward to it being done. 140 kids. I always got stuck in a cabin with these middle schoolers and like the, the just nasty smell of BO mixed with Axe body spray is something that I'll never forget and I'll never like ever want to experience again. Uh, And so in that, there's always this kind of bittersweet nature of it. But I remember specifically the first year that I went, I took a week off of work and said, I'll go up there, I'll volunteer. Uh, We got to the Thursday of that week and this this young uh, seventh grade student who we had had trouble with the whole week. And uh, I remember he had the same like dirty mustache that I had this week. Uh, and I did it for skits. He just thought it was cool. Um, but Dwayne, he was just we, just, we just had all these issues with him. And we're, we're getting near the end of the week. And he walks out like during the chapel time, just walk, gets up and walks out. And so I'm like angry because like you're being so disrespectful. Why are you walking out right now? So, so I get up uh, and I walk out after him, ready to just kind of like come at him hard and give it to him. And I get outside and he's, he's sitting there on this bench and he's just almost in tears. And I said, Dwayne. And he looked up at me and then I see the expression on his face and I realize like I, I really misjudged this situation. And we begin to talk and, and I, I still can remember it so well. He, he said, I think that I need to give my life to Jesus. That was 15 years ago. And I can see his face. And and I can think of the joy and the working of the Holy Spirit in me like it was yesterday. Because, Because we ought to be a people that desire all men to be saved. We ought to be a people that want to see the good news of Jesus go forth. And 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 here's why. Because, because God deserves that. He deserves the praise and thanksgiving of all of His creation. He deserves worshipers. Now, here's the the compliment with that and the warning about it. We have this tendency. We have this tendency to judge. Do we not? Maybe you're better at this than I am, but I certainly do. Before I have met someone before I know them, even in that same interaction with Dwayne as I walk out, I have made up my mind who I think might be receptive and who wouldn't. I, I know so many times in my life I've looked at people and, and made snap decisions or judgments about whether or not I ought to bring up Christ with them based on what I've decided is going to be their response. Amen? You been there? They, they 
dress like me, they look like me, they, they have this thing going on in their life, or they just used this word or whatever it might be. And I go, well, I'm going to save that one for later. And, and again, like I think oftentimes what I've done is I've, I've kind of excused that under point number one, right? That I'm just conducting myself with wisdom. That I'm not going to tell this person about the Lord because it would be unwise to do this. And so here's, here's what I, I think you ought to remember. That routinely in our lives, I think we are a people who are surprised by who it is who engages in spiritual conversations and wants to know about the Lord and Even if they don't, here's the thing, we share the gospel because it's glorifying to God no matter how people respond. That that the ultimate goal of sharing, of telling people about the good news of Christ is in the proclaiming of Him, in the submission of worship by telling people about Him, you're glorifying His name even if they reject. Consistently throughout the Scripture, it speaks about the disciples proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and some believe and some don't. And yet, in it, it never claims that that was an unwise thing to do because it wasn't received with gladness by all. In fact, let me, let me finish with this, this last account from the Scripture. Um, Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. Here's what happens. Uh, The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. They're waiting. Jesus has commanded them, stay, hang out until the Holy Spirit comes. There's about 120 of them sitting in a room in Jerusalem just waiting. The Holy Spirit comes and gives them uh, what the Bible calls tongues of fire. It's this kind of incredible event. And out of it, the people around hear and kind of begin to gravitate towards what has happened. Thousands of them and are confused by it. And some of them start to say, these people are drunk. Like something weird is going on. And Peter stands up and says, no, 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 you don't get it. It's 9 a.m. That's not what happened. We're we're not having that much fun out here. Uh, We've just been waiting and the Holy Spirit has come down and then he begins to declare the gospel message. And you can read it this week. Acts chapter 2, Peter uh, gives a dissertation throughout all of the Old Testament recognizing the foretelling of Jesus' coming in the New Testament. And it finishes with this. 3,000 people get saved that day. Confess Christ. Come Come to know and believe in Jesus. And out of this, the church is off and running. Now you, you fast forward. Some things are going really well. Uh, some things are kind of hitting some hurdles and speed bumps. It, it kind of looks like a church in many ways. Uh, they've had some incredible things and some problems happen at the same time. We get to Acts chapter 7. And this guy named Stephen comes. And, and this is what the Bible says about him. He is full of faith and the Spirit. So this is a guy who's, who's an early deacon in the church. He's doing things. He's wise, the Bible says, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, that he's someone who is walking in wisdom and maturity in the Lord. He stands up before the council and many of the Jews in the area, and he declares in Acts chapter 7 almost the same sermon as Peter does in Acts chapter 2. You read them. You read Acts chapter 2, you read Acts chapter 7, you just watch. It's almost the same sermon. 3,000 people get saved. You know what happens to Stephen? 
They tear their clothes, they gnash their teeth, they drag him out, and they throw stones at him until they kill him. Listen, this, this is what I want to impress upon you. So often, we, we've set our eyes and focused on the wrong thing when it comes to what it means to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. So often we have short-sighted ourselves in thinking that it's all about the response that we would get in an earthly sense. And yet here is the deepest piece of this. We're meant to be a people who would proclaim, who would declare the good news of Jesus for the glory of God. No matter what the response, no matter what the results, that we would desire in the deepest sense that God be glorified in the praising and proclaiming of His name. Desire people to be saved, certainly. Desire the good news of the name of Jesus to go forth above all. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, let us be a people who would would recognize with joy the commissioning and the task that you have set before us. That we have breath in our lungs and life in our body to worship, to glorify you. And part of that is through proclaiming the good news of your name. And so I I pray you would continue to, by the work of your Spirit, help us conduct ourselves with a wisdom to speak with grace as as if seasoned with salt and to speak with a proactive boldness, searching for opportunities, searching for doors to be opened. I pray that you would allow us to do it, to have a heart that desires to see people come to know you, be saved by you, to glorify you, and deepest and most of all, that it would be to the honor and to the glory and to the praise of your great name. Let us, let us be intent and focused upon that in all things. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.